Hello and welcome to the MicroSamplify podcast, a partner to the microsampling blog from Neoterics. Listen in as we hear from key thought leaders in research science and medicine testify to the powers of microsampling in their industry. For this episode of the MicroSamplify podcast, we are speaking with Dr. Jennifer Van Eyck, a professor of medicine at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, who directs the Advanced Clinical Biosystems Research Institute, as well as the Precision Biomarker Laboratory and Basic Research Science in the Barbara Streisand Women's Heart Center. She also co-directs Cedars-Sinai Precision Health. Dr. Van Eyck's research is focused on high-throughput quantitative proteomics and disease-induced biomarker studies. The Van Eyck Laboratory at Cedars-Sinai is interested in the molecular basis behind a range of cardiovascular disorders. Hello, Dr. Van Eyck, and welcome to the MicroSamplify podcast from Neoterics. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us about your work at the Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. I know that proteomics is the general focus of your work and that you aim to use laboratory methods that are translatable to the medical arena, but can you tell us a little more about yourself and give us an overview of how you explore or apply proteomics in your research at Cedars-Sinai? Sure. Um, so I am very fortunate to direct the Advanced Clinical Biosystems Research Institute and now the, the new precision biomarker labs that really emerged from the academic side of our work, which is um, the umbrella, which is under the umbrella of the Advanced Clinical Biosystems. Um, the labs at Cedars, we really set them up to explore proteomics um, and focused on using the ability to quantify all their forms both kind of at the small scale and large scale, so really being able to scale up to do large numbers. And you may say, well, why proteins? And why do you get so excited about proteins, which I really do? Um, so proteins are really this, the fundamental unit of life. They are the fundamental units of cells, um, and they have changes both in the short and long term, which makes them incredibly fascinating. And the changes that occur on the short and long term can just be protein concentration, but they have also these massive hosts of post-translation modification or changes that really regulate them in this dynamics um, over time and space. And why proteins are so important to study in the context of medicine, it's really proteins which drugs affect directly, but they can also give us biomarkers. So proteins are really uh, very important in the concept of medicine because they help us develop biomarkers, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, they help us to understand mechanisms, what's going on, so we can develop drugs, and we can certainly use them to look these fast responses to drug therapy or any intervention. And so to me, if you believe that, um, you know, as we do in our labs, that our goal is to really give physicians more tools for them to fight disease, then proteins are where we should be doing and proteins really monitoring them over time. 
Excellent. Speaking of proteins, on your Van Eyck Lab website, it states, we apply our mass spectrometry-based expertise to deciphering the precise role that protein expression profiles and modifications play in disease progression. Can you explain how this plays out in some of your current research projects? Sure. And a little bit later, I'll talk about some very specific projects that I think illustrate kind of our fundamental philosophy. So as I mentioned, it's really this complexity of the proteome of the proteins that uh, really reflects the complexity of biology. And since biology is really what health and disease is about, it's really the complexity of the proteome that really captures this crazy complexity. So the tools that we use, which include mass spectrometry, is based to really capture this complexity and to quantify it. And by doing that, we hope to develop really detailed mapping of your status, of an individual status, be that you know, circulating biomarkers in the blood, which we can take and analyze um, in the hospital or from home, or you know, inside your cells where we can direct drugs to it. So being able to understand you as an individual, kind of this whole list um, is really important. And um, so the tools that we use, mainly mass spectrometry, is uh, yeah, it's really a cool technology because there's different kinds, but essentially what it does is it weighs the weight of different proteins, and that weight is unique to that protein and unique to the forms that it has, whether or not it's more modified or not modified, and that allows us to really move um, into this world of precision medicine and to precision monitoring of your status. And one of the big pushes we have in the area of biomarkers is currently if you come into the clinic um, and let's say you're having uh, heart problems and you have chest pain, they'll take a tube of blood and look for the circulating protein in your blood called cardiac troponin I or cardiac troponin T. Its name doesn't matter. What it's Why it's such a good biomarker is that it's specific for your heart. So if it's circulating in your blood, it's not in your heart where it's supposed to be, and that's an indication that your heart muscle is injured and has released this protein into your bloodstream. That's monitoring one protein. Most diseases isn't so clear-cut. Most diseases are more complicated. Diabetes is more complicated. Most cardiovascular disease is more complicated because can, you can also have diabetes involved. Alzheimer's is more complicated. You as a person is much more complicated. So we want to move from having one protein marker to having really markers that reflect the whole network, all of you, so that we can understand um, kind of how you're responding to drugs, how your body uh, and your drug and uh, sorry, your disease status would be. So we want to move from one protein to really having proteins that represent multiple networks. These networks being different aspects of your body, different organs. You know, your heart versus your kidney. And mass spectrometry, this tool we use, this technology is incredibly helpful for that because it has the capacity to measure so many things at one time. It's very good at multiplexing. So instead of monitoring one protein at a time, we can monitor two or three or four or five or thousands. Um, and it's really this ability to multiplex that really allows mass spectrometry to help both kind of in this discovery of mechanism, discovery of what would be the right biomarkers all the way up to that clinical assay, um, be it for diagnosis of heart disease, be it for 
um, as a companion diagnostics for a therapy. Should you be taking that drug or should you be taking a different one? Mass spectrometry can play this great role because of its ability to quantify and characterize proteins on the scale of thousands to really one with a great precision and accuracy. How do alterations in the proteome affect physiology and how do you use microsampling with Mitra devices based on VAMS technology to gather blood samples and monitor these effects in study participants and patients at Cedars-Sinai? What a great question. Um, so within uh, the respect to biomarkers, we feel very strongly that longitudinal samples, meaning samples taken um, from someone over time, um, while they're developing the disease or monitoring, you know, they've had a drug or they've had surgery and we want to know how you're responding is best done over time because you can um, serve as your own control. So your proteins go up when you're sick if you have something called the acute phase response. So that will elevate when you're sick. Um, other proteins will decrease when you're sick. So, But seeing that dynamic change really helps you to understand what's going on. And currently today, most of that's done single time point. And we want to move from that to be able to understand, um, you know, things like your drug response um, and whether or not you need to have another intervention. And so we want to, we can um, take it one step further and that's to be able to use these remote blood sampling devices because if you say you believe you need to have more time points then you really have only a few options someone has to come in and get a blood draw um, at something like quest or lab or come to see their physician or you need to be able to move to a scenario where someone can take their own blood sample um, and then get transported easily and, and the matrix devices do that very well because it's a dried blood sample. You can stick it in the mail uh, in its foil package and it can come to us and we can analyze it using mass spectrometry um, in our lab and develop uh, and provide you really with clinical grade results on these biomarkers that exist or new biomarkers that we're developing, not just our lab, but labs across the world, right? So the remote sampling devices are really helpful in that it opens up the ability for anyone to take their own blood sample anytime in any place. And this really has big implications, not just in the hospital system, and certainly we've seen with COVID-19, the move towards telehealth, where you call your physician to talk to them as opposed to coming in to see their office. Imagine a scenario where you could take your own blood sample, have it analyzed. So when you do talk to your physician, you have um, you know, the clinical chemistry data that you need for that physician to make the, um, a diagnosis. Um, so it's very. you can see how that could happen, but you can also see where for individuals who coming to a hospital is not possible or very challenging because of your location or your circumstance, now they will have the opportunity to have access to clinical chemistry data um, with ease. That's in the medical system. We're not, we haven't even talked about how can we use them to expand our knowledge. Uh, it's incredibly hard to do what we call natural history of diseases. So what's the natural progression of a disease? Um, those take samples. You have to take samples over time and usually quite a few people to understand what's the natural history of progression of a disease. This is very hard to do now in the research side, but obviously fundamental. <laughs> how can we do a treatment if we don't understand how a disease naturally progresses? Now we can do this because you can have individuals 
uh, take their own blood sample and send it in. We can do it, uh, for example, for mid-risk or high-risk individuals where instead of coming in every month or every few months to be see the doctor, um, maybe we can take blood tests more often and, and have a finer uh, degree of monitoring of these individuals with, you know, uh, with reduced cost and having a cost-benefit analysis of this. So many places where all of a sudden, if you remove the barrier of having to go somewhere to get a blood sample drawn, um, both on the research and understanding on the science side, as well as in medical practice, I think opens up so many possibilities. The foundation for this to work means that we have to have really strong foundation of how to handle the samples, how to process them. And then, of course, we have to have really good assays uh, that will help clinical decision making. So both are needed. And certainly the, the VAMS technology helps in opening up that door. So if I'm a person taking a medication and you are wanting samples from me at different time points in the day, for example, let's say I, I have a symptom. Um, would it be helpful if I use the Mitra to take a sample when I'm having that experience or that side effect or symptom? Would that provide you more information? Well, that's that's a great question. In, in theory, um, one would hope so, right? Until we do that experiment or figure out, you know, that's the assay part, right? It's like, mm -hmm. um, do we have, what would we look at, you know, in the discovery mode when we're looking for biomarkers, we'll monitor hundreds and hundreds of proteins, right? But ultimately in the clinic, that isn't one, but it's a smaller number. And so finding out and how to linking it becomes really key. And that's really why we built the precision biomarkers to be able to increase the efficiency to go from a discovery to actually a clinical assay. Currently, that takes a long time. Our last one assay that uh, assays which were around traumatic brain injury and um, brain box solutions uh, has taken that to the FDA um, took a really long time and we're trying to shorten that you know development time in the precision biomarker labs but you're absolutely right there are so many places where being able to take a sample at a time, and we'll talk in a few minutes about the Center for Undiagnosed Patients, where, of course, symptoms and understanding what that symptoms mean uh, becomes very important. Right. So you recently became co-director of Cedars-Sinai Precision Health, which is focused on personalized healthcare within the hospital and also the continuous assessment of the healthy population at large. Can you discuss this work and how you maximize throughput and reproducibility in order to move targeted discovery methods into personalized clinical health assessments? Great questions again. So Precision Health is this wonderful Cedars-Sinai uh, initiative, which I co-direct with Dr. Dermot McGovern. Um, and then there's also Ian Wright and Kuhn Rutscher, who uh, we've together been trying to build the infrastructure and community really to um, directly transfer the omic data into medical practice. And we put together a symposium. We have... Um, an internal um, funding agency that's a competitive grant set system. We partner with industry and Neoterx is one of the companies we've partnered with. And um, I'll give you two examples of projects that we've used um, VAMS technology to, to help with. Um, both of them, I think, really illustrate 
where this technology and how precision health is trying to uh, work. So I'll give you two examples. So I'm going to give you the first one is around adrenal insufficiency. And this is a great project we're doing uh, with Dr. Ben Slomo. Um, she is a physician here at Cedars and has a great interest in adrenal insufficiency. And this is a, a syndrome that manifests itself by an insufficiency of a hormone called cortisol. And cortisol is produced by your adrenal glands. And when um, it's relatively rare, about 3 in 10,000 people have it. And it's um, very associated with high degree of mortality and a lack of a really good quality of life. If it's not promptly diagnosed and treated with hydroxycortisol, so essentially you replace the cortisol that your body should be producing. But we know actually very little about it. And, and even we don't have biomarkers, even the measurement of cortisol is not uh, very accurate and can be very misleading. So there's a need to actually figure out how much cortisol should they be taking? When should they be taking it? Um, and so we really need to do it. So we started to study with them where kind of like you, you asked, if you were to take a sample, you know, several times a day, normally they get cortisol twice a day. So we're getting uh, individuals to take their blood samples using uh, neoteric devices, uh, the Mitra device, several times a day so that we can actually understand the diversity of how individuals um, use their cortisol up. How much should they be taking? How, how much does it vary over the day? Because um, even this is not known. And then we have a great study where we'll be doing um, following individuals undergoing treatment and different doses as they get stabilized over time. And so this study is really um, wonderful in that we're able to get these many sampling um, in a way where a patient can do it from home. And they're, they're really, the patients are remarkable. Um, and a huge thank you for all of them who are participating in the study, because it's really going to provide this um, time course so we can start to understand should we be adjusting, how to adjust, what's their fluctuation and how they're feeling, can we stabilize them more. It's a great study um, of how the neoterics devices are helping us to even do it. The second one is um, for irritable bowel uh, syndrome, so IBD, and this is with Dermot McGovern, our co-director of Precision Health. And in this one, what we're doing is we're tracking individuals after treatment. So if you have IBD, um, this is we're looking really for um, predictors for response to therapy. So if you have inflame, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, which is really made up of Crohn's or um, uh, uh, colitis, you can end up having to go um, onto an immune-mediated uh, therapy. So you want to be able to blunt your um, immune response and settle down your GI tract, essentially. But it's really hard to know um, what happens after we give them, a, let's say, an anti-TNF-alpha therapy or do an intervention. What's their time course? We need really to understand response to therapy and whether or not they're going to go into disease relapse or whether or not they will go into remission and what does that look like we cannot predict it at this time so we set up a study to essentially follow individuals for six months after they get an intervention using the neoterics instead of daily or multiple times a day as we're doing with the adrenal insufficiency here we're doing it every um, every two weeks to try to look at the 
how well is someone doing? What's their health status after therapy in response? So you can see that one's more research-based at the beginning because we need to understand the disease so that we can start to look for mechanism and biomarkers and get them. And that's the adrenal insufficiency study. While the IBD following treatment, the anti-TNF-alpha therapy treatment, is really closer to therapy or closer to um, clinic in that if we can find a relationship so we can predict uh, disease relapse or remission, then we can move that more quickly into a larger uh, set of individuals to see if we can get something quickly into um, the clinic. Interesting. In your recent HUPO 2020 talk, which was great, and a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned the Center for Undiagnosed Patients, or CUP, at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center as an example of how you apply methods of blood analysis to help diagnose patients with complicated cases. So when a diagnosis isn't clear, it's difficult for the medical team to decide how to move forward, but you help by providing insights in these cases, by monitoring each individual over time with remote blood sampling, kind of how you were just describing. Can you explain this process a bit more and the types of insights that you provide? Yeah, the Center of of Undiagnosed Patients is something very dear to my heart because my own daughter uh, had a journey through this very um, aspect of not being diagnosed. And then I can tell you the joy of the day that she was finally diagnosed and we could have a way forward. So the Center for Undiagnosed is, um, I I stand in awe of the physicians that participate um, in this. There is a group who um, look at every individual who applies to come into the center. And then um, they set up for individuals once they're to meet um, usually about five physicians in different areas that are, of course, this is a team that's unique to each individual. They get assessed and then all that information comes back to a team of about 20 in, uh, physicians across many different disciplines. And um, the case is discussed and it's almost like you have this massive team trying to understand what's going Going on, you know, whether or not new tests need to be done. And um, the center is open for both children as well as adults. Children, it's often a genetic disease when they fail to thrive. Um, but with adults, it's usually very complicated, these, indiv- um, these individuals, and they can really be um, slotted into uh, several. One is that they actually have a new syndrome. It's a, a extremely rare, um, but it's a syndrome. It's a new disease that we didn't really know existed or a new uh, genetic mutation we didn't know. Sometimes it's a rare syndrome and it's just been missed. Um, there are rare, rare syndromes that, you know, affect individuals, but, you know, one in a hundred thousand, one in a, you know, a thousand thousands uh, rare and they can be missed. Um, more often, these are complicated multi-disease, so overlapping diseases, so they don't have a single disease, but multiple diseases being expressed, and you have to kind of untwine what's going on. Um, and um, sometimes it's a common disease, but the clinical representation is different because, of course, everyone's different, and you know, no, you know, right. you can ex- look your disease can be clinically presented quite differently and so the multiomics what we hope to be able to do is to be able to sort out um, what's going on with the individual and you mentioned something earlier about you know if you have um, a, um, 
symptom that wanes and falls and is, you know, some kind of, you know, it's not always there, you know, maybe you feel more pain at one time. Can you take a blood sample at that point and actually figure out what's going on? Um, the answer to that is, is yes, you can. Um, what's interesting about this is, is that the spectrum of individuals, these are really very unique individual. And I think sometimes we can't diagnose them. Sometimes, however, we can rule out things. No, you don't have cancer. No, you don't have, you know, a neurological disease, which can be just as important as ruling in a new syndrome or ruling in a complex disease. Um, it's, it is is a scary situation when you don't know what's wrong with you and you, you start to doubt yourself and, and you shouldn't. And I think that's why the center of diagnosis is very important. And being able to do these sequential times um, samples become in, increasingly important um, and uh, both for our, our understanding, but also we hope to help in the diagnosis. How many patients um, come through that program? Are we talking about hundreds of thousands? I'm just curious how many, what, what the patient population is like at any given time. So it's still a very new center of undiagnosed patients. So we're only doing about 20 to 30 people per, per year. We're hoping to get that number up to 50 uh, patients a year. There are centers of undiagnosed patients around uh, the U.S., and um, the National Institutes uh, of Health, uh, of course, the big funding agency from um, the federal government also has a big center. Uh, they're not using um, proteomics the way that we are. We hope someday they will. Mm -hmm. um, our center does. So you can apply to come to our center. Uh, they, uh, what essentially happens is um, they will look at your records and make an assessment um, if they think we can help you. And if you do, then you'll enter the program Um and it's, it's really quite, like I said, the physicians are remarkable. Um, and I get the, the pleasure and, and honor to sit and listen. And I can tell you, I learned so much from this wisdom. You know, medicine is, is both wisdom and evidence. Right. And in the center of undiagnosis is where you really need that kind of wisdom and evidence. And um, the blood sampling and the genetics and the metabolomics all helps to provide more understanding of an individual's health and disease status. So in five years, I think we're going to know so much more. That's so exciting. Thank you, Dr. Van Eyck, for speaking with us about how you apply microsampling in your work in the CUP and beyond in Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. We wish you and your many colleagues great success with your projects. And thanks to our audience for listening to this episode of the Microsamplify podcast, a partner to the Microsampling blog from Neoterics. <laughs>